Hi, welcome to the Vandells Podcast. I'm Duke, your host, and we're going to talk about all things Vandells, past, present, and future. So we are now recording. All right, we're recording, and we are at Rock Creek. We are, yeah. It has been a day, hasn't it? It's been a day. This also is a little bit different of an intro because we're not at home. We're not on anything other than an iPhone right now we're, trying we're, to make this work. We're trying to be on a kind of a little vacation. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got Kyle down here with us today. Little vacation where we're wet right now. Yeah. Oh, we're going to spill those beans right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't going to give them the good stuff first. <laughs> Haven't we, told the story yet. We got we got in here and it was nice and sunny. That's right. And Kyle or Casey and I got here first and we got things all set. Yeah, we up. got here yesterday. And uh, there was actually quite a few people down here. Yeah. When we came in, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to get a campsite, but we managed to find the one we wanted, and so that worked out good. Kyle ended up showing up. We got our campsite set up. Everything was good. It was a beautiful day. It was comfortable at night. You know, we didn't know if it was going to be humid and hot and. I have a question. Muggy. Yeah. Who won the bet between uh, you and I when for when Kyle was going to get here? Well, since you're the one that brought it up, I'm going to say <laughs> you must have. You were you were the closest. <laughs> I gave him the benefit of the doubt. You did. You you gave him two hours earlier than I did, <laughs> and he showed up 15 minutes later than what I said. Yeah. Sometimes that happens. <laughs> you know, Walmart will uh, do that sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so we're doing our update uh, down here at Rock Creek, uh, and uh, it's been uh, it's been a, an interesting day. Uh, oh, I'm glad I wasn't standing over there. We, we just had a bunch of water fall off uh, of our about, canopy. Uh, is everything still sitting over there on that cooler? Oh, I don't think so. Nothing's. All, it's all on this cooler over here. Yeah, that's what I meant. I don't think it hit there. Okay. We, uh, I no, caught, we're, we're good. I got up this morning <laughs> and about nine, about about nine fifteen, and uh, I decided I was going to go fishing. So I went uh, two campsites down from where I'm at. There's a nice fishing hole there, and I came back with four trout. Yeah. Before ten thirty. Yep. I had I had four trout. So uh, we knew we were going to have dinner tonight. So that's what we got waiting for dinner right now. But we decided to get in the car and. Go to some other holes that you know places we'd been to before in the past, and uh, it was kind of a bust down there. And we got down there, and uh, the last hole we stopped at, it was uh, sprinkling a little bit, but it wasn't bad. We heard some thunder, yeah, and it still wasn't bad. So on our way back, well, you and I both had pole issues there too. Yeah, we yeah <laughs> we had some pole issues. We uh, and when you go fishing at Rock Creek, there's always pole issues. Yeah. They had pole issues, and I only caught little small ones. There's trees, and there's rocks, and there's rocks, and there's trees, (laughs) and bushes. And And more rocks. Yes. (laughs) But anyway, so we decided we'd come back. It's about 5.30. Yeah. Going on 6, and all of a sudden, it kind of starts to downpour, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. And there wasn't much wind. It didn't didn't look windy or anything. We didn't think so. But we got almost back. We were probably about... 10 miles away from our campsite, uh, maybe less than that. It seems longer than that because it's all gravel road, so you can only go 20 miles an hour. And we got uh, past the one uh, uh, place where they picnic, 
and we were less than five or two miles away from our campsite and a big old tree had fallen across the road. <laughs> so we had to get out yeah. and try to try to get that thing moved. Well, our first attempt at it was like, this isn't going to happen. Yeah. So we had to figure out, okay, what are we going to do here? Do we, are there other campers here that might have a chainsaw that we can get this off the road? Well, I decided to go ahead and start breaking off branches. Yeah. So we got, I got a bunch of the branches broken off. The, the tree was pretty well rotted. It was still alive. But when I started breaking those branches off, they broke off real easy. Yeah. It was amazing. But the tree was still had green on it and stuff. But uh, you could see it was rotten at the bottom when it fell, where it fell. So we got most of those branches off, and then you guys tried to move it again. And I was holding the top of it, trying to pull with what branches were still on it. And we got it moved a couple inches. Yeah. So we <laughs> About inched, two inches. To, we yeah. inched it across the road enough so that we could get the van through. Yeah. And we managed to get back to our, our campsite. The rain stopped. The sun was coming out. We couldn't actually see it because there's so many trees, but but it, we could tell it was bright. Next thing you know, we get a downpour again. <laughs> and our tent was full of water. Our canopies were full of water. Yep. In fact, we just had a camp, canopy just let loose some water just a second ago. Had I been standing where I was cooking, I'd have you would have been soaked. <laughs> and then, I think this is the last dry clothes I've got. So... Uh, so it's been interesting. Now we're trying to cook. My uh, my Coleman stove will not light because it got wet, and it just will not. It will not take a light. The the fuel's coming out of it, but it's like it's air. Yeah, we're trying to cook on the fire. So we're cooking on the fire right now. But it's so. still sort of raining. So yeah, and I've got uh, potatoes and onions going in the in one foil thing. I've got mashed potatoes going in another thing for Kyle. And then I've got, uh, we got six trout we're going to put on. So that's what's going on with us right now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's supposed to rain tomorrow too. So Ugh. we don't know what we're gonna, getting into. We may have to call it quits tomorrow. But because uh, I, I love, you know, putting a tent away wet. <laughs> it's really Ugh. fun. But anyway, you'd probably rather listen to the podcast instead of listening to me rant. But we've had a good time. We have, yeah. Because, well, you guys didn't catch any trout down at that place, but you guys got back to the campsite here. Yeah. And Casey, you, t- you tied in a couple. Yeah. And you got some little stuff, didn't you, Kyle? Yep, I caught more little ones again. <laughs> but nothing nothing doable. But I, I think you'll catch something in the morning. And we are the only ones here now. Yeah. Everybody left us. So we're here all by our lonesome. Yeah, it's all, I like that. I, like I don't mind that at all. Yeah. I, I have actually stayed down here by myself before. So anyway, we have part two of, uh, is that correct? Yep. Of, of Zach? Part two of Zach Stewart. So we hope you enjoyed last week's episode. And uh, is there anything else we need to, to say? We want to thank our, our Patreon supporters. Yeah. Uh, because uh, without you guys, you know, we really can't do this. And and we, we do thank you so much for that. And uh, if you get me that video of us moving the tree, maybe we can put that on on Patreon. Yeah, we're going to have some interesting video from down here that we can can show you. Yeah. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, We're we're glad you're with us. And uh, enjoy uh, episode two with Zach Stewart. Ladies and gentlemen, 
and the Vandells. Uh, how many re- reunions did you come back to? Just come back to the one? I did the one, yeah, two? yeah. And I know you had a good time with that. I did, yeah. You got to meet a lot of these guys. Yeah, yeah, that was that cool. You heard you know, stories I mean, about. Yeah, because it was, I mean, honestly, the band, I mean, Paul's past, Brian's past, John, of course, I still keep it, and John Tell and I are still good friends. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, I've heard from Rod in years, so, you know, there weren't a lot of the, the crossover of different players. So I went to that like, okay, well, you know, the guys we're doing the tribute to are the guys I played with, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was just cool to, to see it and to see some of the old songs that, you know, it heard about. And I, it was, you know, it's, it's one of the unique, very rarely do I think you get to do a gig where you get to feel like you're part of something like it has like a legacy and a link to it, you know? And, uh-huh. and there's definitely that, you know, for, uh, for myself, you know, I don't only know, Casey and Parks, really, the other Vandales drummers, you know, there's yeah. something you said, like, okay. And I've actually became great friends with uh, Mike Hodges, who played with you guys, mm-hmm. uh, I think, for a little bit in the 80s. Um, Drummer Mike Hodges. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because yeah, we, we, had, we had a keyboard player. Okay, okay, too. yeah. Um, but I met him on an off night, I think, randomly. We were in Cincinnati, and so I was like, oh, yeah, you know, they told me oh, about wow. Mike because he you know playing you know, with Bowie, and so yeah. there's always all the guy who played with David Bowie, and but it was that introduction of, oh, this is Zach who's playing with the Vandals now. And, you know, Mike's just a sweetheart and we have just been great friends ever since, you know, yeah. we've literally probably hung out in person twice, I think, like I think that night. And then he, another night, I was randomly 10 years later in Cincinnati and had a night off. He was playing, I went and saw him, but we probably speak on the phone two, three times a year for hours, you know, but it was just that initial connection of, oh yeah, we, we're both Vandals drummers, you know. <laughs> Alumni. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's just a, again, it's a unique thing to the, to the gig that you don't get to experience on a lot of other ones, you know. Did you like going out talking to the fans and stuff? Um, yes and no. Because our fans, <laughs> you know, were all embracing. Yeah, no, they were always really they nice. They always wanted to come and talk to anybody. Yeah, yeah, no, they were always. They wanted to meet them right away. Really nice. And <clears> I'm, you know, I'm an out, I think I'm an outgoing person. But initially, I th- you know, at that time, you just don't, I mean, again, 20 years old and somebody's wanting to talk to you about you like it, it was just weird and so i probably wasn't the most outgoing but also as a, as a drummer unless you're like some drummers who take two hours to tear down their equipment no names <laughs> mentioned but like i usually <laughs> want to get my stuff done and like like i want to move on the next thing you know yeah. and so i maybe might have might have been the guy sitting at the edge of the stage like hey come talk to me you know <laughs> but yeah. uh but now it was that was everything that was again very unique um to when i got to other gigs is like you know, there are people who have been following you guys and fans of you guys as long as I've been alive, if not longer, when I joined the band. Yeah. And um, this is a unique experience. So, again, it kind of gave me a little bit of, um, not, it prepared me for when you have fans. Because we all know that that can, they can be great and you love their support, but there can be some toxic personalities that come with those people's thoughts of and you or fans. Yeah, yeah. There. So, yes. you, yeah. you know, you kind of. I learned the, the, you know, again, through those, somebody elbowing me going, that person, you know, those red flags so that I learned when to keep a distance and with people, yeah when to way more welcoming and, you know, and all that. So when that I never, you know, didn't like talking to people, it was just when, you know, somebody maybe was, I don't know, had their own agenda of whatever they wanted to say <laughs> or prove a point or like, you know they liked some other drummer better like <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's it's amazing our fans will say that 
Yeah. And they'll give you a backhanded compliment. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times that'll happen because I know a lot of people have said some things to me over the years. I thought, well, that was kind of weird. Okay. You didn't really say anything bad about me, but the way you worded it wasn't really, I don't know if that's really the way you wanted to word that. Yeah. 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 And, but I've had other people come up and say, oh, this person, you know, I like this guy better. I like this guy, but I like this guy better. Yeah. Well, you don't have to, you don't have to say that. But. Yeah. Well, and I think almost anybody that's gone through the band has had that, you know, Bill was even talking about that when he joined that people would come up and say, you know, that they liked Kevin better Yeah. or, you know, they missed Steve missed or, Steve. Yeah. you know, and you know, you came in right after parks and parks was there basically for 10 years. So that's, yeah, that's yeah. a long time. I mean, he took a couple of years off in the middle, but that's a long time. So fans, gravitate towards that when they see somebody there for 10 years you know it's hard to unlearn that well we broke up the family when somebody when somebody leaves because they've been seeing it because our fans are are very loyal to us they've been very good to us my you know my whole career and uh, so they come in and as soon as somebody's leaving they're oh why you know and we're oh we're gonna miss them and you know and then the new guy comes in and uh what i found is usually whoever was in the band the first time they saw us. That's who they're. That's yeah. who they gravitate. That makes towards. sense. That's what they remember. And because w- through the years, you know, uh, if it was the early years, oh yeah, we we really love Moose, you know, and we miss him. But when people who never saw Moose and saw Glenn, you know, oh no, I, I don't I don't know who Moose is. You know, the Glenn's, you know, Glenn's who I remember the Vandells. Yeah. You know, it's 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 who you saw first in yeah. that in that group. That, yeah. Uh, it makes sense. I mean, I, I can probably have some, even had even a, a slight feeling of that about myself because I'd seen you guys and I really liked the show and you know, people aren't playing. People, you, you wouldn't get to see that music mm-hmm. at that time, you know? And, uh, so I think there was a bit of that of like, I just was a fan of the show, you know, cause I you know, knew David, so I would go to see the show and, and it's like, wait, now I'm here. Like, I don't do it. Do I don't know what I like me playing this. Like what I mean, <laughs> I enjoy this. Like, Boston out, you know, and I'd be like, yeah, this is cool. You know, kind of a, almost like what they call the imposter syndrome, right? Now, yeah. Uh, yeah. That for, you kind of had that for a minute, like, wait, now it's me. Like, I don't know, does it, oh, I sounded great. You know, that before, oh, does, does it sound as good now? You know, kind of feeling. Well, but, uh, I don't think we ever had anybody come in, try to replicate what somebody else did. I, and we didn't want that anyway. I mean, yeah. you play the but, parts. Yeah, you play the parts, but, but like, you don't yeah. you don't try to be like their character, what they yeah. were. You, uh, whenever we had had lead changes, mm-hmm. you didn't want to bring somebody in that was exactly like the guy that left, and uh, and fortunately, that's always worked for us. Right. Yeah. Well, when you joined, um, you got me into some different music that I'd never really been privy to. And drummers that I wasn't aware of, like uh, Virgil Donati mm-hmm. and like Dream Theater. I wasn't really into Dream Theater. And you and I went and saw yeah. Dream Theater yeah, in we did, Cincinnati yeah. <laughs> together. But, <laughs> I was talking about that show the other day. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but that music is very different. I mean, for those that aren't aware of that style of music, what I guess we'd call it like progressive rock, metal. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. Dream Theater, like, like they're pretty much now the like kind of prog rock. Progressive rock kings, you yeah. know, what, what, what once was maybe Rush, add more yeah. notes. <laughs> um, but it's a very different style <laughs> yeah. than 
what you were playing with the Vandells. Yeah. Um, were you that familiar with the fifties and sixties music or like, was it like, what, what was the, what was the approach, I guess, of now I'm playing just two and four instead of, I mean, you and I talked about practicing all these crazy polyrhythms mm-hmm. and stuff that you would never play on a Vandells gig or, you know, yeah. get fired really quickly. Well, it's funny. Like I, I, on that stuff, and I've never have done a prog rock gig or like a fusion rock gig. I've maybe done a few of the songs, but I'm definitely a poser. Like, like I got into music because of like pop music, whether it be stuff that's on MTV or my parents listen to on the radio, which is more of the oldie stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of two things that were funny. So I moved to California on the way out. My mom and I drove out together. Uh, we stopped at Graceland because um, I me mean, Elvis was just like. Uh, one of your podcasts, someone mentioned kind of like the Elvis era, the Beatles era. My mom was like Beatles. My dad was Elvis. So they're the, they're the same age, but just kind of what, like mm. who was the king of, yeah. for you, you know? Um, so Elvis was always the king um, in our house. But uh, so we went there and just kind of, as I went to California, just in my head of just, you know, that there was, you know, it was such a movie experience to go there and to see his career. And and uh, I had bought a, a, the uh, Aloha, Alive in Hawaii, um, special on VHS for like a dollar at some used store. So I was like watching that. And then, you know, so I'm going to school and there's all this crazy music, you know, whether it be fusion, progressive rock, metal, whatever, you know, it's just the, the extreme players. But when I would drive around, mainly going to like karate classes, whatnot, um, I just randomly came across the oldie station in LA and like I never changed it the whole time I lived there. Oh, okay. Like I think I came across K Rock, which is like the infamous rock station. I listened to that a couple of times, but like, I was just driving and I remember I was driving down to the karate school I went to had started in the sixties and had kind of a legendary group of guys. And that came on, I'm driving and just kind of had a very Americana nostalgic feel as I was going. I just had never changed. I never changed radio. <laughs> I don't live out there listening to a CD or something, but um, that and like, just, just kind of the air. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's timeless music and like the melodies are just, cause it's what it's all based off of, you know, right. those were the first, that's the mm-hmm. first era of all the pop. So it's like, it works generation to generation. If you have no idea about the fifties or sixties, oldies music, you just, you're going to like that melody because it's what you've been told to like, <laughs> you know, when you don't know it because it's been copied yeah, a million times over. So when I took the gig, like, like I said, you know, David been on and the, the tapes I had of the show, he was playing a lot. I probably had the facility to play all that or have played more, but honestly I played less out of uh, a fear of like messing up. Yeah. Like I was like, okay, it's one thing if you butcher something, it's one thing if you butcher something because you're attempting to do something that's really not necessary. <laughs> like yeah. people kind of look at you like, really dude. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 after the first uh, run through of the show at that rehearsal on the cruise ship, Glenn turned to me and goes, yeah, man, I like this one. This one you did, you kind of played more like, and I didn't know the originals. I just learned the board tape or he was like, you played it more like this, which happens, you know I mean? As, as you evolve on a gig, you know, whether it be, I don't know, just wanting to stretch a few ideas, like you'd maybe do more. Yeah. And I've even known guys who are on the same gig who kind of, when a new player comes in, kind of reset and go back to mm-hmm. some different versions of it. Um, and you kind of lose your way sometimes on a part for good reasons or bad reasons. You know, yeah. sometimes that works, the natural transition, but Glenn made that comment to me about like, yeah, I kind of liked it. You know, he played this one like more, more down the middle, I guess, less, less notes or something. Well, and um, I was like, Okay, well, that works. You know, yeah. I can keep doing that. <laughs> well, an easy way to lo- losers, like you said, we gave you some board tapes to listen to. Mm-hmm. So they weren't the originals. Yeah. Because when we started on all these songs, we started with an original 
version of something. Um, you know, if it, if it wasn't uh, uh, the original that did it, it was, you know, we might do, a, uh, Mark always liked to do Linda Ronstadt versions of things, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of songs he'd pick. So we would learn it from that. But as we play it, it becomes ours. So if you got a board tape, okay, that's not from the original. That's the way that person was playing it. And now you're going to add your different feel to it. And the next time we move on, if that's the board tape we send, and it can really get far away from yeah, from yeah. the original. I, one song I always, in fact, the one you heard we had on, on here uh, when he came in is Rock and Robin. Yeah. Uh, the feel of that changed through the years so much that sometimes I, I just didn't feel right to sing because I couldn't sing it like the original because we didn't play it like the original. Yeah, and so yeah. I couldn't get that feel. It still sounded good. There was nothing wrong with it, but you know it's how you can get in that groove and that yeah. you just kind of feel it. I couldn't. I never could. I couldn't feel it after a while. Yeah, and we so we kind of go back and forth when we do things like that. So I can see how it would be could get well get different because we make it our own. Yeah, and also not to get too super technical for people listening on the drum side of it. That era is, you know it's 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 groundbreaking but it's like it's really a transition i mean the drums are super low in the mix they probably weren't playing it the same way like it's not half time it's not swung it's not a straight rhythm it's like this in between yeah. so yeah somebody like you know i've heard people listen to what i can naturally call a train beat and so be like oh it's swung it's straight like well it depends you know but if you were playing it straight when it should be swung it sounds awful you know yeah. or vice versa so that was kind of i i actually had that incident um we did do a rehearsal my first summer to add in some songs and change up the show. We did it here in Nashville. Um, and Glenn said he wanted to do uh, Suspicious Minds. I'm like, okay. Boom. I had the Elvis number one CD I burned out, you know. I was like, got it. And uh, I think it was like the night before. Then you said something about it. But it was the live version. Which, if, if people listen, they are two different beasts of yeah. like tempo and, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, it's, uh, I think it's Ronnie Todd in a live one. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was more bombastic. It was like, oh, we're going to play a bunch of notes, I guess, but, you know, really a lot faster. But, but yeah, I had like learned like the studio one over in my head. I'm like, yeah, I can play that. And then it was like the day or maybe we're going into the rehearsal and you said something about like some part you're going to play. And you're like, yeah, because listen to that one part in the recording. And is that? I'm like, huh, you're like, well, the live. I'm like, Oh, he didn't tell me it was a live recording, you know, of Elvis's version. And Elvis is probably one of the toughest ones to name a song and say, play it like this, because are you taking a live version, taking yeah. a studio version? Yeah. Oh, or uh, which concert version are you taking? Yeah. You know, is it Aloha? Is it yeah, going to yeah. be, uh, you know, all the, di- all the different ones that were. It's amazing how when you talk to a lot of these ETAs, you know, it's, it's like, uh, okay, well, I want to do this version. And, you know, you and Kyle, and you probably know all the all the different versions, but I I just know the original one. You know, if whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever was on the recording, but uh, Glenn would do it. You know, Steve would do it. Yeah, it, it was amazing. You said, "Well, no, I want I want this." Well, that's so, the backgrounds are even different. Yeah. You know, well, I yeah. learned the backgrounds like the original. No, that's not how they are on this one. Uh, well, one that's ooh. one that's very different is "Can't Help Falling in Love." If you listen to the actual studio version of that, yeah, it's slow and a ballad, and then you hear when he did it live, and it's super fast. And yeah, just you know, it's almost like he's just ready to get through it. And yeah, get off stage. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, some of those can just be flying, well, and it still throws me when I hear it at night. I'll hear the keyboard go da 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 da. Yeah, that yeah. opening. Yeah, and I think that's way too fast. Yeah, that's, and it's not. Yeah, but 
you know, when Steve starts singing, it's, oh, okay, that's okay. But man, this, I don't, I, that's not what's in my brain. I remember yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, Actually, the I remember the first time hearing that one live, being like, like you see the track list of something. I'm like, okay, like I know, like these songs, these songs, these songs. When I got to, I'm like, what? You know, but yeah, same thing. I was like, oh, they just want to knock this thing out in 90 seconds. And yeah. Be done with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, it was, you know, so I, I, I kind of kept that, you know, just that approach. And I think, you know, there's, I said things evolved and I'm sure, you know, I don't have like a board tape to know what I played first month in the gig, what I played last month in the gig. But, um, but yeah, I think like I said, for that era of music though, it is something that, like we we're talking about earlier, getting musicians in, it's so specific to how you interpret it. Very similar like classic country from a drummer standpoint. I mean, half time the drums are almost like just kind of random pops and knocks and like little sounds in the background mm -hmm. and, you know, but then they want you to, you know, they, they didn't play that live like that or that drummer didn't play that or whoever they had playing. And so you have to yeah. kind of interpret what version of this song are you doing? Because everybody does it 10 different ways, you know? Right. Well, in the older 50s stuff too, a lot of those tracks were just taking one take. Yeah. You know, okay, well, we have, we have it now. We'll just build off of that. Or, or they just, the whole band did it all together. And that was the track they sang off of. Yeah. So, and then when they do it live and later on down the road, you know, the, the mistakes that were in it, they just left them. And yeah. so were they mistakes? Were they supposed to be there? You know, that, yeah. that was always a conversation Paul would have, you know, he would, cause you know, Paul yeah. was great with this. He, yeah. he knew, I think every note that was played Yeah. and that if it was right, if it was wrong and then he would question, well, did they mean to do that? He also loved to be a stickler too about, oh, yeah. about like, well, no, it's really this. So yeah. let's, <laughs> but he, but he was good in that way, but you, oh, could yeah, get, totally. you could get bogged down in a conversation though about one note. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, I was telling somebody, he jumped me once. I mean, you know, it wasn't, uh, mean, but he, we were sound checking somewhere and he just, he's like, looks at me, he's like, can you just play your kick drum the same volume for the one note? And like walked off and it was like, but I understand now if he's, I don't know what his mix was, but like if he's hearing it and I, you know, Again, 20 years old, new to it. Like, I don't know if I was maybe not consistent enough for him. Yeah. But I was like, I've no one's ever made that comment to me again. Like, you can't make <laughs> like, quiet or soft. It's that same volume for yeah. four and a half minutes, three and a half minutes. Like, yeah. whatever it's supposed to be. But it was, you know, and nowadays if somebody yelled at you like that, you'd have to like, I don't know, probably go have like a meeting with management about your emotions. Like, no, like, you just told me what was up. And I had you to hurt my it. feelings. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I'm sure Brian's like, oh, he's right, you know, and walked off something. But, uh, but um, <laughs> but yeah, that just it's it is something I I do think about you know like on, on the regular of just but it was again him just experience it and it, it, I think it took me back to what we we're going on about earlier was what how someone else is feeling about your playing what their uh -huh. experience is with it you know whether you're playing the wrong interpretation of a feel to a song whether you're you know kind of you're giving him this you're giving him this and you're giving him this volume and he's maybe he, i don't know how particular he was if he was turning up my kick drum when i was playing softer turning it down and then i'm hitting harder the next note well he, he was doing sound for us at the time he was he? Yep. Then, yeah 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 um because i mean he was he had a million hats on yeah because he'd be on the side of the stage he was mixing the monitors for us he was mixing the mains he was driving the trucks driving yeah the trucks and yeah. everything <laughs> I, was, yeah. I, I call it the paul diggy one two three four that, that was always his count off no matter the tempo it's like one, two, three, four. Dun, 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 dun. Like it was just some way to count us in. Like, like two, two parts of the show where the first time he did it, I was like, 
why, why, why do you do And when everybody starts playing it, I'm like, oh, that's just how he counts it off. Yeah. Like, that tempo is no <laughs> reference to what you're actually going to play. Right. <laughs> um, and then the infamous click <laughs> tracks on the, the the few piano tracks we used. Yeah. Um, there's always a joke for it. It was a metronome speeding up. And most times, you know, click tracks recorded, like literally the track is maybe done in a studio or whatever. And I, I guess you guys had had a situation where... Um, You'd have a keyboard player and you needed some tracks. Yeah, and he had to build the he built and those tracks. So he built it from a live track. I was yeah. like, you're I was like, I swear it's slowing down this one part. And so after like two months went in the hotel room one night, and I'm like, dude, am I losing my mind? He's like, Oh no, that click track is me sitting in a hotel room literally clicking sticks <laughs> to like his keyboard players before I tell that story, people don't believe me. I'm like, I swear, you know, I mean it yeah. works, you just had to follow it, but like yeah. after again a month of playing with it, you know where it slows down, where it speeds back up. Yeah, you know, but typically usually the click track is the opposite where it's like, Oh, it's just perfect machine time that's yeah you know you just got to follow i um, mean he he would take the time after doing all that other work he'd take the time after he get there then he'd build that build a click track you know and yeah. on his downtime yeah you know i i don't think he ever stopped working for us you know yeah. he just seemed to just keep keep going and going like the energizer bunny yeah you know yeah now he was you know, a great musician too same thing kind of talking about the education you know getting to talk to him about you know what it was like working in rock bands and the late 60s early 70s and uh-huh. you know just some of the stuff like some of that fusion music i was into like he was like oh yeah this was this is what the world was like when it came out you know and what players thought and stuff like that and rod same thing you know he had talking about his stuff in nashville and all the guys and like they have adrian blue and that whole circle and mm-hmm. um, then of course the bowie thing with hodges and all those dudes and i think flannery was even in one of the bands with all those guys we rehearsed at that guy's studio that was in their drummer um Larry oh, Larry yeah yeah he lives somewhere was, Larry Goat yeah Larry Goat yeah yeah Goat. I think he lives yeah. up used to at least lived in Madison area um yeah because we I remember that rehearsal because Artemis Pyle was yeah. there from yeah. uh <laughs> from Skinnerd yeah you know I forgot we did that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah wow because was, Ar- Artemis really liked your pedals yeah whatever pedals he tried to buy yeah yeah he <laughs> tried to buy them and uh I knew Larry had worked with him and I mean, I, you know, I growing up, growing up in the South, uh, I mean, Leonard Skinner's like, you know, the Mount Rushmore of music, you know? And, yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, Artemis Piles, like, why do you work with him? And then we walked in, I saw him in the control room at that place. And the first thing he said was, he was like, hey, man, I didn't play him, but your drum sounded great, you know, kind of wink, wink. And he's asking me because my pedal's really soft. And uh, I never forget, we're sitting outside and he just, you know, he's, I'm sure he's told the story of the plane crash a million times, you know? Um, so all he said was, he's like, yeah, you know, my leg hurts because it was broken in 21 places. And later on, I was like, it took all I had to not expect. Oh, well, yeah, what, what happened? <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I was just. You don't uh, want to be that guy. Right? No, yeah, I just, yeah. my just to make, you know, give him a hard time. I was like, just don't play it cool, man. Just now, now's not the time to make that joke, you know, because uh, you don't know he's going to take it. But, um, but yeah, I, that was one of those days where just like, for me as a young player, it was like, okay, I could like. Again, if you told twelve year old me that like the guy who keep you know here on Freebird and all this stuff's gonna yeah. like, play your drums and want to buy your bass drum pedals, I'd be like, I'm good. I've got I've done it. I'm, I can go home now. You know? <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the first time I'd ever been to Forks was that day. Oh really? You and oh, I, man. like, we got into Nashville for that rehearsal, and I think you came to the hotel and picked me up, and we went to Forks that day, and then went to the studio, and that's when Artemis was. Gotcha, there. gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Well, for your bank account, I'm sorry. I already did forks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you're also really big into karate. Yep. 
And uh, you actually have your own studio now, don't you? I do, yes. Cool. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, and actually, I've subbed for you on a couple of gigs because of some cool things that you got to do with yeah. with karate. Yeah, unfortunately, it, uh, sometimes the, the events in that world happen as well on weekends. You know, so I tell everybody, like, if I could have one thing in my life to happen on, like, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then, like, the music stuff, like, right. never, there would be scheduling conflicts. But, um, yeah, same thing. I started it. Um, about the same time I started drums. So it's really been people always ask me what's either one of my life, like the karate side, or the music side. And like, I can't really pick one, you know? Um, the good thing is they do have their, like, you know, obviously music and what I want to do in it. You know, there is obviously there's a professional aspect to it. And there is of course that with karate school now that I own one. Um, yeah. But I could also train on my own if I wanted, like I could have that same experience um, without having to have that. So it's, it's, it's kind of, balance it out over the years but uh but yeah i um you know part of the reason i moved to la besides music school was there was a very famous japanese instructor as i was saying earlier who i wanted to study with so it kind of was a, a no-brainer i can go to this great music school and then go take karate with this guy like this would be perfect you know and um and so yeah when i came to nashville it kind of took a back seat just because again there weren't people like doing the style that i do and there weren't any schools that i feel like if i trained there it wouldn't really be worth my time like are there you know, different styles of karate? There itself? are, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So, um, you know, I'm trying to think. I tell people like the easy way to think about it is like martial. If you say if you say the word martial arts, that's like just saying a ball game. So it could be a football game, basketball game, baseball game, right? And then so those would be like karate's one thing, taekwondo is another thing, jujitsu is one thing, aikido. And then when you get into those styles, then you have branches of hundreds of different styles, you know, okay. um, and. Uh, the style of karate I do is called uh, Shotokan Karate, and it's probably the biggest in the world just because we were the first group, our, our organization um, in the 60s, 50s, to send out instructors. Like, they recognized in Japan this, like, oh, it's going to be this worldwide interest in karate, which is have people who are qualified to teach it. So they created an instructor program, sent people out. Like, Elvis actually started in Shotokan Karate because there was somebody in Germany teaching um, when he was in uh, the military. And... So a lot of it's, it's kind of the first styles in a lot of countries, you know, and it's like my instructor who I mentioned in California, he came here in 61, but also taught a lot internationally. So I stayed with him that came back and obviously still trained a lot of my own here, taught, you know, started a group in 2009, like once twice a week. And, um, and then in 2017, I was like, you know what, like, I'm going to actually give it a more of a, um, a serious go as far as. A profession you know so i did open a school and you know minus COVID, it's, it's been a nice experience um <laughs> but uh, yeah the, the thing the first time you said for me um i had uh it, within these different styles different organizations and it's there's it's, it's too much to get into for people who don't know what's going on but um i met a gentleman who had done the he was british but he had done the instructor program in japan which were foreigners three years pretty brutal um but I mean, there's only been, I think he might've been the first European to ever graduate and it's not even open to like Westerners now. Like hmm. they just don't, they're, they're not having it. Um, so he is in New York and he was, he's a chief instructor organization and he, uh, he had a special month long training program kind of condensed to three years into, it, it's not the exact same thing, but it's a, you live in the dojo, you're training five, six classes a day, writing reports, you know, you know, getting told the business left and right. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. And um, kind of ironically, a friend of mine who had a karate school in Cincinnati 
um, who's a police officer who was killed in the line of duty in the summer of 2015. Yeah. And he was kind of like the regional guy for our organization. So I never felt the need to necessarily up my credentials. I'm like, yeah, I've got a group I'm teaching. He's like the guy with all the credentials in this region of the United States. He passed away. There was nobody there. That wasn't the real total reason, but it motivated me. So I reached out and said, hey, I know Sonny had these qualifications. What would I need to do? And he's like, well, I know you're very serious. Here's the program. And uh, kind of going back to like with the Vandells of you just being like, yeah, fly to this boat and we're going to do it. It's like, cool. Like he just said, yeah, you just come train hard for a month. Like and you sleep here. It's like, great. When don't I book a ticket? Like, you know, it wasn't like, here's how it's all going to work. Cause you, you, you have to learn on the fly, man. And uh, so, yeah, we, I, I took it and I did, I particularly planned November with Josh because we had like three shows and we picked up like six shows that month. So right. I called you and I was like, Hey man, like, but I kind of committed, like, you know, if I don't do it now, like, it's one thing to sub gigs, like, life's not going to get easier, or not easier, but more free and open. And, of course, now I couldn't imagine right. leaving the family for <laughs> yeah. for a month to go do, you know, uh, something like that. So it was just the right timing for me personally. Um, and then, yeah, then we've had a, I've had a few uh, teaching things with the organization because I did that program and um, we did a national camp. And so it's unfortunately those things you have to plan a date because people come to it just like you were booking a show. You know, you got to say three or four months in advance, this is when the show is. People can plan for it. But for me in our world, you know, I mean, some acts can say this is our calendar for the year and that's what we're doing. Nothing's going to go away. Nothing's going to come in. Most people it's, this is our year, but oh, well, three shows pop up on a weekend. Like, why would you say no? You know? And, so yeah, that, unfortunately, it's had those um, those kind of conflicts, but um, but I try to keep it to a minimum. I mean, I think you know now at best it's one a year, if that you know. And I try to I kind of have one event I host and I sometimes teach on. And we I, it's in November, so it's like all right, maybe there won't be much going on. That's when most people's touring slows down. But honestly, yeah. with uh, with the new stuff with with Jared, I'm I'm probably just going to have to just say look at all my road dates first priority and then just fill in anything else as far as other karate commitments or whatever yeah. at this point after that, you know, cause it's a lot to, to sub out at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because you were saying that you just took over tour managing duties with yeah. Jared. So, yeah. you know, it's one thing to sub out as a drummer, uh-huh. but then <laughs> yeah. when you're a tour manager as well, that's a, that's a little more, commitment to now who are, who are you with so everybody knows um, his name's jared neiman um if you're not familiar with him both names are smelled spelled weird <laughs> compared to the, uh, so it's j-e-r-r-o-d and then neiman is n-i-e-m-a-n-n um he's uh you know what you call just you know, he's a country singer he's had a couple of number ones written a couple of songs um you know kind of funny story with songs he's written his first number one he wrote was called um good ride cowboy and it was uh, Garth Brooks cut it and it was a tribute to Chris Ledoux who I knew nothing about and I was actually after a, the guy I played with after the Vandells we would actually do a lot of like sit down gigs which it sounds like it's what you guys used to do back in the day where you go and you're like the house band for five nights yeah yeah we used to sit for anywhere from a week to three weeks to okay yeah weeks. so yeah except these gigs from the stories you guys told me these are much less luxurious <laughs> 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 but uh they were like out in these like cowboy towns, man, out out west. Um, and uh, we were in Wyoming, and everybody's yelling. I mean, if you played Garth Brooks, you're playing too new of country for them. You know, we're playing okay. You know, the music of that day was Keith Urban or Dirk Bentley, Jason Aldean. Like, so I mean, they they hated us. 
the most part, um, or at least the people who came on a Wednesday night, the three, the three people. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so anyhow, they kept just going on about this Chris Ledoux guy. And so I was like, Oh, I, I, I didn't know this guy and I hate him. You know, I didn't know he'd passed away. Um, and then we're in Key West like a year later and they hear the song and it's like, da, 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 just, I'm like, somebody wrote a song about this guy. Ah, like, <laughs> and then, like I, get, I know the song's called good ride cowboy. And then I get the tapes or the, cause the first show I played with Jared, it was an opening slot. So we did a condensed version of the set list. So then when they sent me the six, or seven, our songs we do the good ride cowboy. And I'm like, oh, that's that song. And I was like, Oh, now actually I love this song. Cause it's a country shuffle. It's a great song. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, I, I feel like I made peace with it because <laughs> we did we did a show where the guy who took over singing Chris Ledoux's band was friends with Jared, came out to the show, and when, uh, he was obviously very close with them. And I were sitting backstage one night. I said, "Dude, I gotta be. I gotta come clean with you. I hated Chris Ledoux." He's like, oh. "I was like, I didn't know he was. I just hated him because he's assholes. Excuse me." And uh, Wyoming were yelling his name at me, and uh, but I gave him the whole run of it. And so I'm like, can I get your blessing that I'm okay? He's like, you're, you're fine, man. He gave me a hug. I was like, all right. I didn't get to say sorry to Chris Ledoux, but I said sorry to you. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so yeah. So Jared's, um, you know, I got with him, like I said, did a sub date and then it just worked out that the drummer was on his way out and Hey, you already know the show. And I was in between gigs. So, uh, so yeah, um, I did a drummer and then became the band leader a year or two ago. How long have you been with him? Um, next month will be Four years. Okay. Yeah, which feels like it's like the new gig. I'm like, oh my God, four years. <laughs> you know? So yeah, 2018 was I started with them. Um, and uh, and yeah, so we uh, we had a, a change in personnel. And I'd actually subbed in as tour manager. Like we were talking about that job subbing out. When I first got with Jared, you didn't have a regular tour manager. Kind of what you were talking about with players. You know, if you don't have, you know, the work or whatever, it's hard to say for somebody to commit to like, I'm only going to make your gig priority. Um and it was okay, but you know when you're constantly subbing out that role, the processes change, everything changes. Yeah. Every yeah. personality is one thing, but then just how everybody does everything. Like we had one guy came on the bus, worked with a bunch of big people, and he was talking to us all the first night. He goes, "Yeah, just let you know, um, my workday starts at 10 a.m., so don't don't bother me before that." And he goes in the back. I'm like, and our keyboard player's like, "What happens? We get to the festival at eight. We need something, you know? Yeah. Like so that was already like a weird foot." So. He, Long story short, I told his manager at that time, like I've tour managed on lower levels and it kind of worked out. And and then the guy we had for years, he had left a gig and was able to come in full time. And um, and so he had an opportunity to come up and he decided to make to go do that. And um, you know, Jared and I kind of talked and I was like, man, like I would rather, you know, for myself, kind of talk about things change, like instead of having this gig. And then kind of trying to fill in a bunch of stuff. I'd rather do more on this gig to not have to do so many other things so that I can say, all right, if I'm off, I'm off. Yeah. But that's okay. I can go spend time with the family, not needing to go do, not go, oh, I'm off then. All right, well, let me go find the next thing to do that weekend or that stretch of time. So, um, so yeah, I'm really excited about it. I mean, it's, you know, I have done it before. And in case I know you do some you know, tour managing as well. And it's mm-hmm. just at the end of the day, like the first weekend I did with Jared, he started out by just apologizing to me because his family was coming out to a show <laughs> and it was just a, a, a bad situation where we had to park our bus versus where the stage was versus we played the after we played an afternoon show outside of an arena that George Strait was playing and the sun was setting and it was a summer and it was sitting on the back of the stage. Like it was got so hot. All my electronics shut down 
all the rest of the guys in stage, the band were standing the front side of the stage because I mean, it was just roasting. So I'm like dehydrated. I've got like a radio over here trying to like tell our merch guy because they had to put Jared in a car. To, you know, normally the bus is right by the stage. You walk off stage. I don't know. You may go if it's a venue, you go down the hallway and you're at the bus. This is like, no, he's got to get in a van. He's got to go down like two city blocks to a bus that's underneath in this parking garage. And so our merch guy had it worked out, but he's not there. So it was like, I remember they had a production office and I, of course I didn't do anything in there, but I went to the production office at the end of it to set my head on the table and slept for like an hour <laughs> just away from everybody, you know, cause there was like radio people there. I mean, it was, it was a trial by fire weekend. Um, but, uh, but luckily this go around, like having been on the gig longer, the guy who's going out, you know, he and I have had a lot of discussions about, how, how he was doing things and you know like you said you eventually i'm sure i'll find my own way to do things as well but yeah uh, i feel way more prepared for the uh, <laughs> the task at hand than than the last time you know yeah well that's a lot on your shoulders though that, that people probably don't realize what all is entailed with with managing a tour yeah yeah and i mean it's only i mean if if we had three buses and two semis i wouldn't be able to do it I mean, those and those two managers aren't even you know that person's not even a solo position they probably have an assistant right to um, but you know, one thing, uh, not to keep throwing it back to that, but like one thing I definitely learned from the Vandells is because of the situation, I mean, you guys, the band's out is working. It's producing income. It's, it's a self-sustaining thing. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like, I know Casey's experiences a lot. I've worked with a lot of artists in Nashville where there's some kind of money behind it, a label an investor. And it's cool. You go out, you're on a million dollar tour bus or you're flying everywhere. But I know the business and I had them going, you couldn't sell 25 tickets if you were playing the show by yourself, you know? And so, yeah. you know, at some point this, this kind of crazy music business that like is a lot of investing and hoping yeah. is like, so you, to me, it's like, I always look at kind of learned what, you know, I mean, you guys have sustained it for 48 48 man yeah, there just, you go 48 the other yeah. day we celebrated 48 <laughs> 48 years like yeah you don't do that by that kind of like screwy stuff you know mm-hmm. and so that's i've always kind of kept that in mind even myself as a side musician i have my own business so it's like if i can be in a situation where i can you know i'm not afraid to work to earn my money i don't want i never wanted to be the rockstar musician that just like stumbles out of a tour bunk, a tour bus bunk, and somebody already set up my drums, and I just kind of, you know, go crazy for 90 minutes and disappear. Like, I, I like to work. I like to stay busy. Yeah. And so, like, why would I, you know, turn away from an opportunity that I know I can handle and, and do it, you know? But that's, I think, people that survive in this industry have to have that mentality, whatever level it is. You know, you look at yourself as a player, and you go, all right, well, what else, you know, Okay, I can't run the sound. I'm on stage doing it, you know. Well, Paul could, I guess. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, there yeah. you go. It can like, be done. Yeah, it can be done. Yeah, but um, I can't sell the shirts from the stage. I'd go after the show and sell the shirts, you know. Uh, but um, but yeah, I just you know, uh, part of it's a little bit self preservation of like just knowing like okay, at least I know like somebody isn't kind of crazy coming here. But uh, but yeah, I, it you know, it, it's just a it's a unique opportunity. I, I don't think. A lot of people do what we do with people where you play and tour manage. But right. I think I would say probably both of us having that knowledge, being on the road for as long as we have and seeing, you know, uh, a well-run machine to go right. like, all right, like, hmm, how, you know. Well, and, and that's, and, you know, that's stuff, too, that, you know, both of us went to music school. Like they don't teach that stuff in music school. You know, that's from no. just being on the road and experiencing it that you 
see things that go right and you see things that go wrong and then you just kind of make a note in your head of like oh okay this is what makes it work this doesn't yeah. you know and just kind of utilize all of your experiences on the road with tour managing yeah no absolutely i mean yeah i don't know if there, you could even teach it like i mean you could teach like here's how you book flights here's how you do this right. like you know here's how you reply to an email yeah but um <laughs> like a lot of people are really bad at that these days oh right? yeah yeah <laughs> well you like you know, uh, we were talking about before we started recording here, you know, um, for those of you looking to get a tour bus, there is a national tour bus shortage. <laughs> so get on it now, folks. Um, but, uh, you know, like, make sure you've got yours first. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't, yeah. Do not call. Don't um, call until. Yeah. Yeah. Give me two weeks. Yeah, exactly. Make sure that deposit's cleared. And, uh, yeah. but I mean, you just have to call and, you know, I mean, I'm being nice to these people because I don't, I mean, I'm new to like, you know, if, if you've tour managed, you probably have your relationship with certain bus people to go, Hey, you know, Stephanie, what's uh, well, how things looking? And she knows you. And yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's this person can make a, you know, they can just say, I don't know. You seem like impatient, annoying me. That don't have buses or like whatever. I'm not going to help you out. You know? Right. So I think there's that. I mean, you have to deal with people shocking for people. So, you know, you can't just uh, text them or whatever. It's like, you know, you gotta have a relationship with a, a club owner or, or whatever, you know, cause I mean, you do have to obviously take care of the, the person you're working for and the operation you're working for, but you don't want to, you are the representative of that. Yeah. So if mm -hmm. you're a jerk to, um, you know, a promoter or whatever, you know, that's going to shine back on, on that artist. Unless they are like, Hey man, that guy's a jerk, be a jerk to them. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, by all means, you know? Yeah. But, um, well, I'll be interested. We, we should have this conversation in a year from now of uh i've told him that what's a fine line for me is being on stage and tour managing mm -hmm. because normally if you just have a tour manager they're the guy that can be the jerk mm -hmm. and can make stuff happen and, yeah and it's not a reflection on anybody in the band or i mean i guess it is a reflection on the artist because that tour manager works for the artist but you can separate it easier yeah, yeah. where being on stage you know i was always taught no, we smile and yeah. say yes to everything. When I turn around and tell the tour manager, hey, we're not going to do this. Now you deal with it and make sure that I don't have to do that. Yeah. Even though I just told them, yes, that's my job is to smile and nod. Yeah. <laughs> and now you have to go take care of it. But when we're the guy that has to take care of it, it's a little bit of a of a gray line. Yeah. I, I, it's funny you say that. I, I had that discussion once with the tour manager. Um, well, actually, I was playing with Sean McConnell. And a lot, a lot of gigs we would share drum kits. My rule was always no unless we have to. Yeah. And that's just, it's the same rule as applied to me. I mean, I've had gigs where we needed to share a drum set and they're like refuse. And it's usually a production manager, front of house guy, a tour yeah. manager. And so I got kind of, this guy was new to tour managing and I got just really annoyed because I'd be like sitting there, you know, waiting and he'd come over like, hey Zach, this is so-and-so. Like, is it cool if you use your drums? And some guy stand there. I'm like, no. And it's not like, and it's, it's, just, it's not just, I'm a jerk. Like I can't touch my stuff. It's for a few reasons. Like, you know, my biggest thing is I don't mess up my performance and you tell us my, Hey man, please don't move this, this, and this. They loosen something up and you know, right. you have a 15 minute change. I don't have time to go through and reset up my drums or I've, I've left and, uh, I've come back and like my whole kits moved all around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? And it's like, if nothing else, I mean, it's, you know, again, I'm not playing the same music here, but I do want to feel comfortable. I don't want, the whole show while I'm trying to be in the moment thinking like, gosh, man, like that ride symbol feels, 
is it, is it further away than normal? Like, right. You know, I, I sound checked. I feel good with my kids. So it was more of that. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. You kind of have to have that, uh, that, that separation. So, you know, I hope to not have too many encounters if I have to, but I'm, you know, I've only really had one where, yeah, where I had to get serious with somebody, but then you always feel awkward, you know, and I'm me and the artist I work with Aaron, you know, we're really close and, you know, but I'm still always apologizing to him and being like, man, I'm sorry I had to do that. And he's like, dude, that's your job. Like whatever. Yeah. I didn't have to do it. That's why you do it. Yeah. It's fine. You know, it's it's hard to do uh, because you know, I basically I've been like a tour manager yeah. for the Vandells and then but I've been the booking agent too. And having to to deal with it, I always liked it when I had an agent that was a buffer between because then if there were issues with the contract or anything, he could be the bad guy and not me. Yeah. And I've been very fortunate, you know, and find some wood here and knock mm, on it. Like a hone there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that you know, I haven't had any any real issues with any club owners because I'm being the artist as well. And then having to to make all these things, but I always wanted to please the buyer. Whatever mm-hmm. we could do, if it was within our realm, you know, we had things on our rider that we were supposed to get, and I'd have guys in my ear saying, "Oh no, we shouldn't go on because we didn't get cokes in the dresser, and we didn't get our water, we didn't get, they didn't feed us." You know, yeah. we're not, we shouldn't go on. No, we're gonna do it. I, you know, yeah. okay, it, it, yeah, it's really bad. You know, it, it it there's reasons we have things in our riders. Now, especially our writer, it's very simple. And uh, we don't have time to go out and find places to eat and do these things. Yeah. But to, to upset the venue, you know, it's, is, do we want to come back ever again? Yeah. You know, do you want to, or do you, we just want to write the show off, you know? Yeah. And then they're going to talk to other venues and, you know, it, it's just not a good way to do things. So, you know, we always kind of aired on, you know, let's get the show in. And if there's issues, we'll try to try to deal through it. But, you know, little things that were on the rider, we're not going to cancel a show because of that. Yeah. But a lot, some people, you know, they just got in their head that, no, I'm sorry. You don't give me that. I'm not going on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, I could, I, that wasn't the way I've ever been brought up to do things. Yeah. A couple of years ago, we had a situation on the road where our sound guy was really upset over, I forget what it was. On, on our rider, we have specific soundboards listed of like these are what we would like but please do not give us this or this board you know we will not work with that board and we got one of those boards and our sound guy was livid and just really upset by it and so he came to and it is frustrating yeah it is frustrating you can can understand it yeah he came to me and he was like no we aren't going on i was like well that's not your call yeah um (laughs) so let me discuss this with yeah. the people that I need to discuss it with and we'll we'll talk about it. And so I talked to production people to see if there was another board around, you know, can we swap this out? There wasn't. And so then Aaron and I had to pull him aside and just be like, "Hey man, we get it sucks, but we're going on. And you're either going to do the show or you're going to get fired." Yeah. It's very cut and dry. This isn't your this isn't your call. Yeah. You know. And as a side guy, you don't get to make that call. No. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, that's like, you know, I I can't think of an extreme where, because if you, if you, if you don't do the show, like they, they win in a way, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's like, they've got that over your head where it's like, you can do the show. You did what you were 
asked to do. Yeah. Maybe as a player, whether it be as the act itself. So it's like, you can't hold that against us. We did our part. And then you can go back to them and say, all right, well, if you want some pack, we have a little talk about this, this, and this. But, mm-hmm, right. but yeah, anytime I've heard anybody, you know, refusing, we've had it a couple of times on some festivals where people have raised a stink about something um, where you kind of find out later and you're like, you know, again, it's a gamble that you're just going to be that great that you get away with it. <laughs> right. No, it's not really a gamble. I prefer to, you know, I mean, it's one thing to have a backbone to stand up for some things, but like, but yeah, it's like, you know, unless it's something that, you know, we, uh, endangers your health, which I think one time I, I was about ready to walk off stage because like I kept watching lightning strike oh, <laughs> and I yeah. was like, and, and it was just an atrocious, uh, sound thing to begin with. Like, but that was the closest to like being a couple of guys like each other like, is this for real? You know? And I asked Jared later and he was like, I couldn't even see anything. Cause like the lights and he's kind of looking at people and like, I was like, is, it, is a drummer you're sitting back, you just see this light up sky and like lightning, lightning, lightning. You're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and in that sense, that shouldn't be any other performers call at all. That should be, you know, production should be. Yeah. On top well, of that maybe and, their, you know, their lack of knowledge. On Nobody that. wants like, to make that call. Usually. Yeah. 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 And so they'll pretty much put it on the artist. I, I don't recall very many times where the production company shut us down. It was always me that I'm watching the sky yeah, and seeing where the lightning, that strike was there. Okay. Where's the next one? You know, is it closer? Yeah. Is it, you know, and knowing how lightning works though, you know, that it might be there, but the next one could drop here. Yeah. You right. know, it, you, it's a fine line. And then seeing the weather come in, when to make the call. I think maybe once or twice, the production company shut it down. But half the time we were doing lights and sound though ourselves. Right. So we're basically the production company too. Yeah. yeah. You know, the only thing there is the, the stage. So then that, that falls back onto us too. And I'd always tell, you know, whoever's running lights, I say, you know, get away from that light. If it starts raining on you, if we can't get it covered, you know, shut it down and, you know, cover it if you can. And of course we're always trying to cover the, the speakers, but that would all fall onto me you know, to make that call. And I'd turn around and say, okay, we're going to finish this song and we're, you know, we, yeah. we got to call it. And I'll say, Mark, yeah. say something, you know, that we're going to leave the stage, yeah. you know, and, but that, that's a, that's a hard call to make because you never want to make that call. Right. And if you get five songs in, you know, you did your show. Yeah. You know, you don't have to work. Now, if you cut before you go on, <laughs> then there's a possibility you might have to try to, to redo the date. Yeah. Yeah. We had a situation I, I was proud of my tour wisdom. Uh, we were opening for somebody, female artist, and we um, we get there, and she had two buses. Uh, one bus had a, I believe, a gear trailer, and they said, "You guys go ahead and set up." Normally, the headliner would set up, and you sit yourself in front of them. We got there, there was no buses or anything. This was a Josh date, and uh, they said, "Oh, they they're really delayed. This means she's getting out of town." Um, so you guys just go ahead and set up like we got rolling risers so we can quickly do the changeover. Mm. They're cool with that. I'm like, all right, but like, or just leave space. They can even set it behind you. I'm like, okay, we came back, you know, set up, sound check, go hotel for a little bit, dinner, whatever, get back. They're still not there. I'm like, all right. And then about halfway through our set, Josh's tour manager, she ran out and she was like, Hey, um, they, uh, could they use our backline, meaning our drums or bass amp? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like, of course. And so I see, like, we're playing. I see a bus come up. And we played a little bit longer, you know, went a little bit more. And uh, and so we got off stage. So we left all our stuff up there on the risers. And 
and there's all this discussion going on. And what happened was the second bus was not going to make it just way too high. Apparently it blew like the tour manager, her, like the keyboard player, I think were on the first bus and the second bus like blew two tires, like in the first hour of driving, which is unheard of. <laughs> I mean, just they're trying to, they're trying to find flights, like fly the guys like, okay, we'll, we'll just make it to St. Louis and we'll fly the guys to Chicago and, you know, drive right. up or something. And so you have that situation and our guitar player is like, well, I know. and it's so, like, they're, tour managers running on like oh do you know a few of her songs and then she ended up saying no and of course a few people were like oh but i'm like what it's a lose lose for her like because she goes over there and does two songs everybody will say like no we're just happy you do do whatever you can do but like they're not gonna be okay she can't do 60 minutes of that you know also mm-hmm. an impromptu acoustic thing and yeah you know our guitar player knows a couple songs and if she goes on to leave stay no no do a few more like it's just so I totally respect her decision to say no. I mean, our band's not here, our gear's not here, but our gear's still out there. And so the promoter's like, "All right," and he goes a step. I grabbed him, and I was like, "Uh, one second, man." And I saw like some like local hands. I was like, "Can you guys pull our risers off there?" Because like I'm not gonna be the dude tearing down my drums on stage when you announce that the show is canceled, <laughs> because it'll be everybody <laughs> yelling at me and uh, whatever. Right. And, like, so and he, and he was like, "Oh no!" And I told him they got our stuff off, and then. uh the local production guys are like, that's a good call, dude, because they're trying to roll cable. People are like, oh, just, just open it back up, man. Tell her to do three or four songs. Like everybody's just getting, yeah. you now become the representative for the whole show if you're the guy on stage when a decision like that happens. So I was like, I'm, I'm glad I saw that red flag. Yeah. <laughs> Not have to, you know, but, but yeah, it's an, it's an unfortunate situation. And, you know, same thing with myself and Jared. Like, I wouldn't be able to do this role with somebody I didn't know well. Yeah. Um, Because I feel like, you know, he and I can have a discussion about any kind of bigger issues like that that may arise or whatever to be like, Hey, what's, you know, what are you feeling on this? And yeah. Well, it's good. You've got it. that relationship with him that you can do that. Yeah. There are, I know there's some situations where it's hard to talk to the artist. Yeah. I mean, even if you're, if even if you're their manager, a lot of times they're, they're tough to deal with. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, cause I know you've got a good situation where you're at Casey yeah. that you can talk with your artist and, and you know, you guys, you know, bounce off each other. And so yeah. it sounds like you've got kind of the same thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, the new gig that I just did not too long ago, I'm not going to name any names, but that, I mean, I maybe with rehearsal and the gig, maybe there was 20 words said total between me and the artist. Yeah. Know? And so there was no communication at all. You know, and it wasn't even directed at me. It was just like, it was to the whole band, you know? So, a lot of times you don't have that relationship. It's just business. It's working, you know? Yeah. I, I never could understand. I only had one gig that I was like this, but the guys who have gigs like this for years, like even going back like with, with you guys with the Vandells, you know, I can't remember ever a time, like a lot of drama, you know, I mean, maybe somebody having a bad day, like whatever. But I mean, you're going to have that. Yeah. But I don't, I don't remember like fighting or like ever a feeling of like, a bunch of tension, you know, but like, I know people who have gigs like that, both as a player, as a manager, as a tour manager. And I'm like, man, unless I was, I mean, I don't know if there's even a dollar amount that would make me want to work in that environment where I feel like I couldn't talk to the person. Right. Mm -hmm. Or like, you're just going to be there to be the punching bag when they snap, you know, kind of thing. Like we've been, we've been fortunate in that sense that, yeah, that we haven't had a a lot of that. I mean, of course things arise through the years and certain things do happen, but there was nothing that was long lasting. Yeah. And that, that that permeated into the band, you know, the whole, the whole show or anything that, that, you know, that made it toxic. Yeah. 
Is there anything we didn't go over you'd like to bring up or anything? No, man, this Any is, projects going on right now you want to tell anybody about? Um, no, I mean, like I said, you know, check out Jared's dates. Um, you know, we're, we kind of go through some of the similar areas, same areas that, you know, Midwest and over into, um, you know, a little bit. I don't show me West Virginia dates this year with Jared, but uh, we're in Indiana, Ohio and some Tennessee stuff. So, you know, if anybody's a Vandell's fan and comes out to a show, please you know, please come up and say hi. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, honestly, it's been like really fun to, to get to talk to you guys. And, you know, um, it was, you know, it was a year, but it's been like, it was maybe like the most important year of touring for me. Cause it was the first year, you yeah. know? And so it, it really, it, of all the, the gigs I've done since it definitely stands out in my mind. <laughs> it sounds like you've done well. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, but it was, uh, but yeah, man, it's cool to, to kind of be a part of it. And again, get to get, coming here and chat with you guys about it yeah well thank thank you we're, we're glad you came in and, and did it too because uh, we're having a ball doing these yeah yeah that's no, cool all right well thank you thank you thank you for joining me today for the vandell podcast until next time we'll see you down the road i hate to leave you i really must say oh good night sweetheart good night